Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneur and a public speaker all the way from Perth, Australia. His name is Keith Hutchins. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm really good. Yeah, I I just, yeah, I'm having so much fun. I'm having more fun than a grown man ought to be allowed to have. I'm just putting that out there right from the beginning. So yeah. What's that in life, in this podcast, in what, what what are we talking? Well, we haven't been in the podcast very long, so I'm just making (laughs) assumptions on that. But in general, in my life, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm 58 years old and yeah, I just decided to, you know, in the last year or so that uh, um, I'm just going to let things happen. And yeah, so I'm doing, I'm doing shit that, five years ago I would have just it would have been inconceivable and so now I'm just doing it so well, what's changed exactly is it just like a different mindset or is there something in specifically that you change I mean I kind of know where you're coming from because I feel like in the past year I've had a similar change but I want to know exactly what you're what you're there are two things that change so there's the the big picture the long work so I started doing kind of personal growth sort of work 30 years ago I've been part of a men's group for 20 years. So that's a cumulative process of clearing away the childhood shit of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. And then the big change that happened about six months ago, which just moved an enormous amount of change was I finally overcame the imposter syndrome Um, because you, you know what the imposter syndrome no, well, no, I can't say that I do actually. I've heard of it. Okay, so maybe you don't have it, or you've just never heard, never heard the term. So it's this idea, you know, like, you know, maybe Frank Sinatra or somebody is about to step on stage, but they're thinking, "What am I doing here? I'm in, the, you know, how did I get here? Any minute now, somebody's going to figure out that I'm a complete fake and uh, that this was a mistake." It's a common story. Apparently, it's more challenging for women, but yeah. Okay. Lots of people have it, you know, famous people have this kind of thing. And so I'm in this process. I'm trying to change the way we build houses here okay. in Australia, but I'm, I'm not a builder. I'm not an architect. People would say, so are you an architect? And I'd say, mm, nah, no, I just decided that the way we build houses here is shit. So I thought I'd do something about it. <laughs> and, enough. um, and then I realized that, so I work as a handyman. That's how I, I pay the bills. The housing project is an obsession. It doesn't actually make me any money. Okay. And, but I was always suffering this imposter syndrome. And then I realized in the last six years, I have been in 800 to 1,000 houses. So I have decided I have bestowed upon myself an honorary doctor degree in houseology <laughs> because I know more about how not to do housing, having been in 800 to 1,000 mm. houses in the last six years. I know more about how not to do housing than anybody in the free world. So it's like, okay, I can talk. I am now an expert. I have a degree. I have a doctorate which I declared myself. So, you know, people say, oh, where'd you get your doctorate degree? I said, well, I just gave it to myself. (laughs) 
Well, okay. So you've been in 800 to 1,000 homes. What are the main things that people shouldn't be doing in terms of building their houses to make them more sustainable or in just in general? Like what are the well, do nots? So, yeah, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. People talk about sustainability. We've been talking about sustainability since the 1970s. You know, the hippies, my parents, they were hippies and they talked about sustainability and living better on the planet. Nobody gives a shit. So people have not changed the way they've done things substantially mm. in all this time. So I'm like, let's stop talking about sustainability. What we should be doing, which we have known how to do since the 1970s, is build our houses so that they're warm in the winter and they're cool in the summer. And they basically, if a well-designed house wouldn't require or would require minimal amounts of energy to keep it comfortable throughout the life of the home. Mm -hmm. So that's not only, yeah, it's good for the planet because you're not burning oil or natural gas or whatever, but also you're living, you know, the average Australian spends 1500 to $2,000 a year on energy costs. It would obviously be much higher in colder parts of North America, but we could build our houses so they don't actually need, or they need minimal amounts of energy. Yeah, if you're in Canada, you're probably gonna need some heating in there when it's 50 below outside. But you can build a house so all of the heat that you are producing isn't going out. And then even in cold parts of the world, the sun comes out a couple of, you know, for long periods of time during the day, and you can bring that heat in and warm up your house with this heat from the sun rather than you know spending money okay i'm i'm clueless when it comes to this all i know is kind of like okay solar powers blah 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 i kind of understand that so is it possible for example that you could collect all of that kind of heat power in the um in the summer right and then i don't know save that for the winter is that something that can be can not happen? no not really okay you know it, <laughs> but it what it is is you know the average like if you look at the temperature through the day mm -hmm. of you know it's like doing this it gets you know much hotter in the middle of the day and then it drops down and then it comes back up again the next day and what a well-designed house will be is it just kind of does these little waves so it it gets a little bit warmer during the day and it cools down a little bit at night. And that's, you know, housing accounts for somewhere between 40 and 60% of global carbon emissions. So, you know, Damn. making a change on this is big, but, you know, if we're trying to sell people on it's good for the planet, well, that hasn't worked in the last 50 years. So it's not likely to change right now, but your kids are less likely to get asthma. You're less likely to develop respiratory diseases because you don't have mold and mildew in your house. You know, gas heating produces a lot of moisture when you're burning the gas and that moisture builds up in your house and produces mold and mildew. That's, you know, and, and that then becomes really toxic, you know, the molds, molds, mildews, whatever in your house. So what I keep saying to people is climate change is a marketing problem. It's not a technical problem. We know how to solve it. 
but we've done a sorry i have to do this again we've done a shithouse job of marketing it and we have to change it we have to talk about things in terms of how good it is you know people are talking about electric cars they say oh they're good for the planet but i talked to somebody who just bought the cooper mini and they were they just said it's so much fun to drive and they got a kind of glassy eye they're like it's like having a bumper car you know <laughs> and i was like why is nobody talking about it is just so much fun to drive they're talking about all this kind of, you know that's a really good point actually like when all i hear about when it comes to electric cars you know is well i suppose it's just you just think of tesla straight away um yeah. and then that's kind of it really i mean they do push obviously the fact that it's environmentally friendly it's better for the environment blah 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 which is great but yeah there doesn't seem to be like i don't see like a lot of adverts on tv i don't see like big billboards especially anything do you know what i mean i don't see like people trying to make it cool like you said basic marketing making it cool it's like it just doesn't really seem to exist and yeah infinite torque so i talked to a client i was working for they've got a tesla it's it's a nice car you know it's a luxury car but they said yeah you go out on you're out on the freeway and you put your foot down and it just goes and you know it's not like waiting for it to wind up as soon as you put your foot down it's infinite torque it's as much as you want so uh yeah but nobody's talking about it's like driving a bumper car. So again, it's this market. And I just think it's weird. Once I said, why, why, is, why are they talking about it's good for the environment? Yeah, no one cares. Uh, yeah, so that is, and and that stretches across to, you know, I'm, I'm not really focused on any of the other parts of dealing with climate change, but yeah, let's talk about how much good it'll make our lives. So, yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> um, what kind of tips could you give to property owners who want to kind of make their homes more sustainable? So let's, okay, let's suppose people aren't going straight with your company. Maybe there's just like little bits and bobs they can do right now before they sort of spend that cost and, and, and make a bigger change. What are some things we could all do right now to make our homes more sustainable? Well, I mean, I think the first thing in terms of sustainability, if you're talking about sustainability is, you know, what are you bringing into? What are you spending your money on? What are you buying? Because as so that's a big part of it. The I haven't really spent a lot of time looking at the renovation side of it, how to improve an existing house. But, you know, there's lots of other people I'm really looking at ground up construction okay new you know building new houses because there's eighteen thousand new houses built in western australia every year that's a lot of houses so i figure somebody's gotta focus on changing the way those houses are built someone else can focus on the renovation the existing houses you know there's lots of those so do you think it's better to maybe like if someone is looking to renovate their house versus just building from scratch, you'd sort of say it's it's just better to just build from scratch. Like it's much easier that way. No, I don't think I would say that because, you know, one of the big things about climate change is embodied energy. It's how much energy is going into the building. 
but there comes to a point, you know, I mean, we're in a house that was built in the 1960s. It has minimal insulation in the roof, no insulation in the walls. Um, the house was built, it's not quite perfectly backwards. My neighbor's house is perfectly backwards. Um, but, you know, it's got all the windows and the living areas on the west side here in Western Australia. The sun comes in in the afternoon. And just our biggest issue is heat rather than cold in Australia. You know, we have more. So would it make sense to renovate it? Mm, yeah, possibly. There's things we could do. I could put double glazing in on that Western, the big lounge room windows on the Western side, keep that sun out or put like just shade sails. So a big thing in terms of keeping it cool, because you're in California, aren't you? No, I'm in the uh, the UK, in uh, Manchester. Oh, right. Yeah. I just made shit up. I do that. <laughs> no, let me change that. You are in LA now. I'm just, yeah, sorry. I, I, Keith has spoken. You are um, now. <laughs> you are now. You walk out the door and it's like, oh, how Man, did I'll that be, happen? I'd take that. Yeah. Bit of sunshine. Yeah. Get my worries. Yeah, bit California. Of Hell yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so you're in the UK, so you're probably more dealing with cold and, and you're wanting to get that sun in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like there are scales of things. The first thing is if you're in an older house is getting some insulation in it. You know, like we're in um, a house, there's no insulation in the walls. So the bricks on the outside heat up and then in the summer, they just radiate that heat out through the night. And then... You know, we just can't get enough heat into the house. Like right. we've got a wood fire, we'll yeah. warm it. If the fire goes out, the house just turns into an ice box really quickly. So yeah. how how do you get around that? Because I, I've actually lived in in houses like that uh, abroad, and obviously, I would I would assume because those houses were built very well, the heat was contained right up until the next morning. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, how do you get around that? Like if you've got a house that, yeah, like the, just the, the cold goes so straight we off were, the fire. Yeah, so if we were gonna stay in this house, the first thing I'd do is put more insulation up into the roof. There's there's a, it's not blown cellulose, uh, it's rock wool. It's like a crushed, and you can get that, they put little slices between the bricks and then blow it into the walls. And so that then fills that gap up with insulation. So there's lots of things you can do. And then like our main lounge room window, again, our issue is heat rather than cold more. So it would be to replace that lounge room window with double glazing. Um, all of the windows in the house, because it's it's, it was a badly built 1960s house because it was state housing. So all the windows are like warped and bowed and things. So I'd go through and replace all those windows with new windows because the air just, you know, like if it's windy outside, it's just howling inside. All of our doors are leaky. So there's lots of, you know, it's like steps. How much do you want to put into it? Um, yeah. I mean, this house was so badly built. I would, I would love to be able to afford to well basically knock it down and start again but yeah do you think it's um in your experience is it is it very costly to you know create a sustainable home or, or is it something that you can do on a sort of a lower budget like what's the cost the, factor involved the cost 
is the cost of building is in the materials. Mm -hmm. So like the basic frame of a house is, is just going to be based on the square meterage of the house. And it's going to cost the same, whether it's a well-designed house or not. The cost that doing this, first of all, you're going to put a lot more insulation into the house and, uh, and more insulation than what's required by law. The building code, at least here in Australia, is a minimum and it's, it's pretty, pretty minimal. But then the, uh, if you want a house that's going to be comfortable, you're going to spend a little more on insulation. The other thing is design. The house has to be designed for the block that you know the the piece of land that you're on so that where the it opens towards the prevailing breeze when in the summer so you can get the cool air in the evening and flush the heat out you want to get the sun in to the house so you want your main living areas pointed towards where the sun is so towards the equator it gets backwards with the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. So I, I don't want to talk about directions because I'll just confuse people um, and myself, which is more dangerous. And <laughs> but then at the same time, so, you know, the project home builders, the guys that they just go along with their cookie cutter and they stamp out the house. And so they save money because they've got one set of drawings. They've done the engineering for it. They know there's 2,776 drywall screws in it. Wow. So, and there's 1,429.65, I don't know, I'm making shit up again, um, board feet of timber. So that, if that size, so they've got everything down to the, you know, to the dollar. And they've spread that cost of working of the design and everything over, you know, a hundred or a thousand different homes, which were built the same way. Where if you're building to, first of all, the specific piece of land that you're on, then there's gonna be a cost in that because it has to be designed, it has to be engineered for that. So that's gonna add a little bit of cost, but it's not a huge amount. It costs what? Let's just say it costs one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to build a house, and you pay a building designer two or three thousand dollars to design the building. It's not a huge amount of money. Uh, the other, but at the same time, you're designing it. You're designing it for you. So, like here, it's really hard to buy a house that's not a three-bedroom house, mm. and. Okay. I went and looked at this guy's house. He bought a house because he liked the area it was in. Yeah. It's like four bedroom house. He's across three stories. I said, man, you've, you've got a lot more house than you need <laughs> here. And that's the thing, you know, builders make their money by the square meter. Right. So their marketing is to sell you a lot more house. And people say, well, you know, housing affordability is a big issue, yada, yada, yada. Well, I don't need a theater room. Mm. You know, basically, <laughs> the marketing is saying to you right now, yeah, if you don't have nine bathrooms and at least three theater rooms, <laughs> I'm holding up four fingers, which tells you how good I am at counting. If you don't have at least 
three theater rooms, your children will end up drug addicts. <laughs> oh my God. Horrible. There is no gray area in there. Two theater rooms, they're <laughs> crimes against humanity. They're ending up there. And that's what the marketing is selling people on. And it's like, well, I don't know. Boy. So is it more expensive? Well, wipe out the theater room. The whole family, you'll find this hard to believe, but the whole family can sit together in the same room and watch the same movie. They don't have to be in three different parts of the house. We have, we've lived in this house for 20 years. We have one toilet. There have been some traffic issues at times. We need some guy with like, doot, doot, doot. but you know, two toilets would be really nice. Yeah. But if, you know, if you, that's like the a second bathroom in a house costs about fifteen thousand dollars. Oh, but it, it's building. it's essential though in some properties. Like, yeah, I'm I'm currently house hunting at the moment or searching for a property, and um, now I'm just looking for a one bed. Um, but I was looking at a lot of house shares, and you know, every now and again, you'd see like a five bedroom property with only one bathroom I'm, I'm like absolutely not you know yeah, I mean? yeah, just no, no 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 yeah and especially now where we're all working from home yeah right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and and if it's five blokes that are going to be sharing the house where they mm. all go into the bathroom for like 25 minutes and you know work on a couple of chapters of war and peace while they're in there <laughs> It's, 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 yeah, it's going to end in tears or come to blows or something. It's not going to be good. You know? And if it's girls, it's like the shower, hmm. you know, it's like they go into the shower and it's like three days later. So yeah. But on, on sweet, that's what you need. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Ensuite. Yeah. That, that would be nice. Yes. Mm. Let's talk a bit about your company. So you're the chief communications officer at the Comfortable Home Project, a company aiming to provide sustainable housing at an affordable price. Obviously, you've kind of given us a reflection of that through uh, everything that we've spoken about. But tell us specifically like what you guys are offering and why people should consider your brand. Well, we're a really strange company. I don't know if company is the right word. I, I tend to use organization. We call it the okay. Comfortable Home Project mm -hmm. because it's a project. I, I, you know, I don't know where it's headed. Okay. And we don't actually make any money from this project, which is mm. very strange in and of itself and is possibly a sign of mental illness on my part. People say, well, what do you do? Well, I, oh, how do you make money from that? I, I said, I don't. It's just... It's but is an your obsession. Is your goal to eventually make money from it? Or I would it... really like to make money. I'm trying to work out how to do that. Okay. Right now, the important thing for me is to that we get the word out that we change the way people are thinking about housing here in Australia because it's being done so badly. Mm. So our emphasis at this point is letting people know that they have an option. So, you know, what the future will hold, well, you know, advertising on the site. Um, I say to people, we are a, we are a marketing agency without any clients, because we don't actually, I've got, if you've looked on the website, you can see there's a service directory there. There's a whole bunch of builders, architects, town planners, all those kind of people that you would need if you wanted to build this kind of house. They don't pay 
to be on that site. Mm. And they're all small business owners and they're all existing simply on word of mouth, referrals. And so I said, we could do this better. We'll get more. So eventually, but it's still, we're very small. And, you know. Well, how long have you been doing it now? How long? Been doing, well, I shot my first video. If you go onto our Facebook page, don't try this at home. These men are idiots. But if you go onto our Facebook page and you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you will come to the first video I shot, which at this point was, it was five years ago in August. Mm -hmm. I bought an $8 tripod at, uh, that has a little clip to put your phone in at Kmart. I set it up on a table and I interviewed this guy. I didn't know what he was actually working on. I hadn't talked to him beforehand. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And it is so appallingly bad yeah. that I leave it up on the Facebook page as so that people who say to me, oh, oh, I could never, I could never make video content. Mm -hmm. I'd say, go look at our Facebook page. You can't be worse than that. <laughs> it's actually hilarious. There were they had this weird brass light, like a fan, like a 30s kind of steampunk thing in the over the table in, in their office. Hmm. But what I didn't notice when I set up the camera was that there was a mirror behind me and that light was reflected in the mirror. So it looks like I have this dome spaceship over my head. It's yeah, that look is exactly that sums it up perfectly. You know, yeah, that's the one. It's just hilarious. And yeah, because I was shooting with the phone and I didn't know how to edit. So we were doing it everything in one take. So we had to run through it about four times because one of us would just lose our train of thought in the middle of it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's do it again. And we ran through it because the only thing I knew how to do was cut the front and the back off. So that's five years. I now have a team of young marketing students who are working with me. And yeah, that's why I say we're having so much fun because I've got these young people who are really enthusiastic. They want to change the world, but they also want to get experience as, as actually, you know, the way to learn marketing is to do marketing. So they are, you know, doing marketing for me. So uh, we're looking at building our Facebook page, doing our, you know, I've got one guy who's re he said, Oh, I, I want to learn how to do SEO and Google analytics. I said, mm want to do it on our our website yeah so he's been slowly working through rebuilding our website and he goes oh oh i want to do this thing i don't know how to do it i'll he and then he just finds out how to do it and then he fixes it it's amazing to watch you know it's it's young people who are they're driven so if they want to learn something they're not waiting for permission because i've i've given them permission i say just do it if it goes horribly wrong it can't be worse than what we're doing now, which is nothing. So, mm. you know, set up our Instagram page, make it grow. If it doesn't grow as fast, figure out what you're doing wrong and change it. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, it's the kind of, you know, a, an ordinary company run by a sane person would not say to you, 
oh, you want to learn how to do Instagram? Take over my Instagram account, set it up, run it, create content for it and see what happens. But I'm like, well, I don't have an Instagram page. My wife has been telling me for four years, I need an Instagram page. You do. I know she's right, but I, yeah. You do, you do need so, one. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, she was right, but I didn't have time to do it. So when Jane comes along and says, oh, I'm really interested in doing your mm. Instagram page. Great, make an Instagram page. So yeah, that's the way we're working and just growing stuff and, and learning as we go they're learning as fast as I am. So no, they're learning faster because they're smarter than me. But so, I'm, I'm the good looking one. I bring the tone. <laughs> so um, you actually are originally from New Jersey. And, yes. Um, you made the move to Australia. When, when did you make the move to Australia and why? Uh, well, so I was living in New York City. So we'll be circling back to background. I was working as a theater tech in in new york city um and i could see it was not a place to grow old and it definitely wasn't a place to raise kids just i was talking to young people who grew up in new york city and it didn't sound good at all so i was spending in basically there's no theater work in new york city during the summers because all the people who can afford to go to the theater flee the city um and so i would spend my summers traveling, kind of shopping for a home. I went up to British Columbia, went up to Alaska. It was really nice here. What's it like here in the winters? 50 below zero. Mm, Yeah, not this place. Head back. And I kept meeting Australians and really liking them. So I came here. I met a bunch of people and one of them eventually became my wife. So I've been here for 30 years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, particularly... Yeah, it just got to the point just recently where I've been here longer than I was there. So, yeah, when I turned 50, I turned 56, I, you know, 28 years there and 28 years here. And now, so we're a little bit over that now. So, yeah, but I love living here. Yeah, I, I can tell. And I'm sort of intrigued because um, I've lived abroad before as well for, for years. Not like that long, but I lived abroad for about three years. Do you, yeah. do you ever find yourself getting sort of homesick with, with the US or missing it at all? Or is that just in the background now in the past? Uh, well, you know, there are times when, okay, so my mom was sick for a while a couple of years ago. It was hard being here. Right. Uh, my father's quite unwell now, and I'd really like to get back there and spend some time with him. He's kind of probably in his last year of life. So, you know, that's hard being so far away and particularly with the, uh, you know, the zombie apocalypse right now, getting back there is is just not, uh, you know, I'm trying to go through the process mm, right now. And mm-hmm. all- Australia is actually a very difficult place right now to get out of. Oh, so, right. okay. yeah. Um, but the, uh, but the day-to-day living, I mean, particularly with America right now, between the kind of the tribalism of, you know, Democrats and it just, it just is nuts to me. And then the healthcare system, you know, America, just the health, like, 
when I lived there, I left when I was 28. So, you know, it was like, I didn't think about it because I was young. I was invincible. I never mm. got sick. But now I'm here, I'm starting to get to an age and it's like, oh, I've got that funny pain. What, what's that? I just go to a doctor and the doctor says, you're just imagining shit, you're hypochondriac. Um, but <laughs> I have a very good doctor. Um, <laughs> but if I was in America, it's like, you know, my wife got sick while we were traveling in America. Fortunately, we had travel insurance because the emergency room bill came to $14,000. You know, wow. I was like a couple of days in the hospital and the head doctor at that hospital was a family friend of my aunt and uncle. And so that was like the mate's rate price, yeah. which they, wow. they never expected to get because they didn't know that we, you know, they didn't know that we hadn't travel insurance. So they were mm. you know, looking after us because my aunt and uncle asked them to. Mm -hmm but they never expected to see any money and they were going to write it off. And it's like, yeah, that was three, four days in the hospital, $14,000 that, yeah, it was just crazy. And yeah, so I'm so glad now as somebody who's starting to get old that it's like, you know, my mother-in-law had a heart attack a couple of weeks ago She's feeling a bit funny. She's got some chest pains. She rings up the ambulance. They come off. They take her to the hospital. She spends five days in the hospital. What does it cost her? Well, it doesn't cost her anything. It costs my wife about $15 in parking. Oh. So, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a real piss off. It's a, you know. Yeah, we have to pay for parking at the hospital. You don't have to pay to go to the hospital, but you have to pay you park your car there. And it's, it's yeah, you know, like two or three dollars an hour. It's, and then, you know, but if she was in America, that mm. would be, you know, what, $100,000 or something. Yeah, so, it's crazy, isn't it? No, and then we have this climate, you know, the coldest it ever gets here in Perth is like two degrees you'll wake up in the morning it'll be two degrees it's like yeah it's cold to put a jacket on by lunchtime i take it off you know even but like i go to work with a jacket on as soon as i start working i i take it off yeah it gets hot in the summer but even you know so the climate here is i i can't imagine a place in the world that has a better climate than perth oh Oh, I'm not supposed to tell people about that shit. The snakes. Did I mention the snakes that are being controlled by the spiders that are as big as houses? Yeah, it's a terrible place to live. I have to set myself on fire to get rid of the spiders <laughs> every day. Yeah. That's the truth. Shit, I almost screwed that up. I would have been in a lot of trouble. Yeah, no, it's a terrible place to live. Hate it, hate it. Can't, that's actually, can't that's actually one of the to... questions I have here, actually, is like, <laughs> what would you say are the best and worst things about Perth, Australia? One of the best things, I mean, yeah, the, the climate, it's a, very, it's a very friendly place. Like coming from New York City, the, there's a word for people who talk to you like while you're standing online, they're called the mentally ill. Like normal people don't talk to you if you're online in New York City. 
it's like everybody pretends no one else is there but you know I'll be standing online at the grocery store and I'll oh, I see. I'll okay. lean over at the right, right, right. person's shopping cart and go, hmm, what's for dinner tonight? And we'll strike up a conversation and that is perfectly normal. And they don't edge away from me most of the time like I'm insane. I think it's so, big city life, actually, because I grew up in London and I can I can really relate to that. I mean, it's the, it would be the same uh, if you were getting the tube. If you speak to people when you're getting the tube, they look at you like you've like, yeah literally you know even, yeah, even yeah. something simple like They're oh like, can, can you please give me the time like people people will look at you i mean to be fair that's normally code for i'm going to rob you um but <laughs> you know because there's clocks everywhere there's time everywhere you know what i mean yeah yeah um yes but no but it, it, you kind of do have to watch your back living there and um yeah yeah that's worse. that's true but i mean yeah it was funny when i went back a few years ago and i was sitting on the train and I turned to a woman next to me uh, just to ask her a question or just made a comment. I think it was rush hour and the train stopped. Like, you know, as they do, they just sort of stop in the middle. And I made some kind of comment and she just looked at me like I was a lunatic because I acknowledged her existence. Wow. So Perth is not like that. It's the Germans have a term for it. It's Milliondorf. It's a village of a million people. And Perth is two million people, but it's really like that. If you talk to somebody, there's a really high probability that they, you know, like if you mention someone else, they were their roommate in college. Yeah. They're married to their brother-in-law. They're, you know, these connections. It's a very kind of small incestuous community, which I really like. But you can't get in. You can't get away with anything here of like doing the dirty on someone yeah. because everybody knows everybody else. Does that not get jarring sometimes? Like everyone knowing your business, or does that not get annoying? It doesn't bother me because I don't. You know, I don't do anything that I don't do anything that I oughtn't to. So you right. know, it wouldn't be a good place to have an affair. Oh, I saw Keith. With, uh, you know, some bimbo, uh, you know, I saw Keith in the, in the restaurant with his secretary last week. Right. It was, yeah. you know, special dinner or something. Yeah, no, you'd never get away with that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, downsides. Yeah. Aside from the spiders, did I mention the spiders and the snakes, the killer snakes? Um, <laughs> uh yeah, what? Well, I mean, the biggest thing here is, you know, talking about living in New York City or London is it's a car city. Mm -hmm. If an alien were to come down and to observe with their cloaking device, observe the city, they would assume that we worship the automobile as a god. Um, our god, the automobile, takes the most important position. It roads are so you you can't live here without a car mm -hmm. some people do some of my crazy wacko greeny friends um they ride bikes which is that yeah on the subject of science of mental illness they ride bikes everywhere but yeah not this little black duck and you really can't you know i was coming home last night from uh an event and the last train out of the city was going to be leaving at 9 45 because so 
because they were doing some maintenance on the track. But, you know, like New York City, you can basically take the train 24 hours a day. So you may get your kidneys removed, but you can ride them 24 hours a day. You know, it's it's so much of a 24 hour city where here it's by midnight. They've rolled up the sidewalks and it's, you know, I mean, it's not that big a deal for me now when my kids were younger and they were wanting to go to events up in the city. And it's like, yeah, the last bus. So the train goes till midnight, but the last bus lives, leaves the bus station to come home at nine o'clock. So I would have to, you know, yeah, nine o'clock. So I would have to go to the bus station to pick them up when they wanted to come home at mm. 10 o'clock, you know, <gasps> wild, crazy people that they were. Um, yeah, it was like, so I had to stay up where, you know, they were 17, 18, they were old enough that they could be up in the city, stay up there till midnight. But, you know, this is long enough ago now they would just grab an Uber home, but that wasn't an option then. And yeah, you know, a taxi would have been 60 or $70 or something. So the car cityness of it is the, and right now, we are such a spread out city to drive from Rockingham, which is probably you'd think of the southernmost part of the city to, should I can't even remember, the most northern part of the greater Perth suburbs would be a three hour drive or something. And it's, you know, it's not unusual to hear people with an hour and a half long commute, which means you're spending three hours a day in a car so yeah the the urban planning here was entirely done by uh banks and property developers so perth is a wholly owned subsidiary of property developers so what do they do how do they make their living they clear off blocks of land and plonk houses on them um, and so they're like, yeah, let's do more of that. And so the city has just kept spreading further and further. So that's, you know, it's a great place to live. But if you don't have a lot of money, then to buy a house, then you're buying a house someplace where you're going to end up spending 10 grand a year in the cost of commuting. So, yeah. And then, you know, spending three hours a day sitting in traffic. Mm. So. Yeah, as a city, yeah. And it's a hard place to make a living. Like my son is a filmmaker. And so he's had to move to Melbourne. There's, you know, you there are some people making a living as a filmmaker here. If you want to be a musician, if you want to be a filmmaker, you basically have to leave the city. So mm. I want to drive a whole pack, you're good. <laughs> you know, if you want to drive a big truck, you can make a living as in the mining industry. But yeah. What's the pandemic like been in Australia? This is kind of embarrassing because it's been a piece of piss. You know, we shut down the borders really early. Mm. We had a premiere that people were like wearing T-shirts. You know, this is the head of the state government and people are wearing T-shirts wanting to elect him as an emperor because he just said, we're closing everything. You know, Perth has three ports, five 
international airports in all of like Western Australia, there are five international airports. Is it even, maybe it's three airports and there's like five roads that come into the state. He's just said, right, okay, nobody's coming in. And they closed all the borders. So we started, there was a cruise ship that landed here really early that had a couple hundred people who'd all been exposed to it. They sent them off to Rotnes, which is an island uh, about a 20 minute boat ride off of. So they emptied this boat with four or 500 people and dumped them out on a tourist island until they could fly them out. Wow. And so by July, we were basically back to normal, like social distancing. Uh, yeah, but we had no community cases. We had a couple of months back somebody came into they'd arrived here from somewhere else and then got sick while they were in the hotel and somebody working in the hotel because they're doing these hotel quarantines mm -hmm. um and so they said and oh and he was working in the hotel and then working as an uber driver oh right. so he'd been all over he'd been in con in like 30 different places yeah they said right okay we're gonna shut down the city for five days we went into a five-day lockdown wow and then at the end of that it was just like boom business as usual and about a month back we did a three-day lockdown um yeah just didn't leave the house for three days so and that's it so it's it's actually been kind of embarrassing because I listened to people. So I was talking to the young guy who built my website. He's up in Singapore. And it was just at the tail end of that five-day lockdown. And I was carrying on like a pork chop about having to wear masks when I was outside. Mm. He's like, we've been wearing masks anytime we're out of our house for the last 12 months. So as you can imagine, I didn't get a lot of sympathy out of him for my terrible five-day trauma. It, yeah. it varies though Do you know like here, here in manchester um ever since the beginning of the pandemic like people pretty much always wore masks inside i mean obviously now it's gotten a bit lax but uh, that's the expectation but as far as being outside pretty much no one wears them outside um, yeah i mean they did in the very beginning and still people do sometimes wear them outside um my kind of rule was always like, if there's way too many people, I'll wear it. But I don't know, I feel a bit more relaxed now that I've had the vaccination twice. So it's kind of like, I don't know. But it's, it's always been a sort of a gray area and we've been all over the place as far as um, lockdowns are concerned. We've been in and out of lockdown all the time. And uh, most recently we've, we've pushed back the date of freedom that we were supposed to have, which was going to be the 21st of June. And now it's like Ju end of July or something. All right. Yeah. Place. Yeah. But, it's uh, just so much, you know, and when you look at the, you know, the deaths per capita is, you know, because you can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, half a million people died in America. Yeah. But there's 300 million people in America. So, right. It, you know, it's not a, uh, I saw one thing in the early days of, you know, people having a go at, uh, President Trump saying, you know, 6,000 people have died in America, only uh, 200 people have died in Germany. 
Mm. I'm making numbers up. I don't sure what they were exactly, but it was around that kind of ratio. And I was like, yeah, those, you know, it's not, the, yeah, I know what you numbers mean. mean nothing. Yeah. And you're comparing, I don't know, what is there, 60, 70 million people in Germany? It has to be, it has to be proportionate to, to the entire yeah, population so, of the country. Yeah. But yeah, the kind of stupid stuff that I see coming out of America, where people are, you know, getting into fights because someone wants to wear them to wear a mask. Mm, yes. Come on. It's pretty crazy. Not, yeah. So we haven't really had much of that. Somebody refused to wear a mask. You know, the cops were really like, if you don't have a mask, we'll give you a mask. If you refuse to wear that mask, we will then arrest you. Oh. So, you know, people were like, are the Nazis going to come making us wear mm. these masks? And the premier just went, no, just don't be a dickhead. <laughs> and if you're not a dickhead, like if you forget your mask. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Give we'll you just a mask. Give you one. Yeah, okay, yeah. If, you know, but some guy refused to wear a mask because he's been wearing, watching too much American TV or something. And, you know, this is the stormtroopers. And so they arrested his ass. Uh, you know, we had some girl arrive here from the Eastern States. She got a truck driver to hide her in her truck and then came over and yeah, they arrested her. Uh, you know, some other girl from Melbourne was supposed to do two weeks quarantine, but it was her friend's 21st birthday on the night she arrived. So she snuck out of quarantine. So they arrested her. But yeah, you know, most people have been really good and really sane about it. So, yeah. What so it's been it's been a piece of piss and um, it's kind of embarrassing how when I hear how hard it's been for other people. Mm. What would you say are the biggest differences between life in the USA and life in Australia? I, I don't know that I could say because I've been here for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. So I was 28. You know, I was I was a young adult when I moved here. And I've lived here, you know, I've raised my kids here. I've, the biggest thing that I noticed between being there and being here is just the pace of life. Like here, it's just so much slower. And, and it was the same, you know, Sydney was the same. It's that, uh, it's more of a big city thing than a, you know, than an Australia, America thing. You know, everybody's just running from place to place all the time. And life is just slower here. I mean, I think it's like that for my son in Melbourne. You know, they're a little bit faster than they would be here, but slower than Sydney. It's a sort of middle craziness. Um, you know, the other, the, the other biggest thing is the socialized medicine, the healthcare that I mentioned earlier. You know, I've heard stories... I spend entirely much too much time on Reddit and hearing stories of guys saying, yeah, everybody's got to have a hobby. <laughs> Ambulance drivers being told by somebody having a heart attack and saying, look, can you just drive me around for a little while? Don't take me to the hospital because I don't want to burden. I don't want to ruin my family's life. I have no insurance. And if you take me to the hospital, it's going to, yeah, yeah. you know, 
they're going to end up with a half a million dollars worth of medical debt. And that to me is insane. It is. So it's not having life is a lot looks like it's a lot more stressful in America than it is here. So because we do have I mean, we've got a conservative government that's been trying to slowly dismantle that safety net that's here, but it's still a lot better than it is, at least in America. So, yeah. So earlier in the conversation, you, you mentioned that you were a uh, freelance theater technician in New York City for about eight years. Um, yep. So talk to us about this experience, your favorite moments and your biggest takeaway from that. I'm going to do those in reverse order. Mm -hmm. So the, the biggest takeaway that still exists in my life right now is two things is I really, so I'm the only tradesman possibly in Australia who will say to my clients, I'm really happy to work with you. So you want to put flat pack furniture together? Let's do it together. It will be fun. I always say that it will be fun. And, you know, like I've painted the insides of houses with people and it's like because the theater work it was normal to work as a team so i ran i was a maintenance person for a school for a number of years i ran busy bees for people you know and it was some woman would rock up and i'd say well what do you want to do and she's like well i'd have a list there and i'd say okay here's the cordless drill here's what you're going to do here's this the tools that you need and and they were always a little bit amazed because it's like, well, I don't know how to do this. It's like, it's not that complicated. If mm. I can do it, you can do it. If you can raise kids, you can do it. So, and then the other part of that is weekends mean nothing to me. People are like, oh yeah, it's Friday. It's like, right. yeah. I'd rather have a day off on a Monday when the bank is open, the shops are open than to have a day off on a Saturday. So days holidays you know sometimes my clients i'll say look let's do this job on a saturday and they're like oh, do you charge more for saturdays it's like, no. <laughs> i'll just take a day off during the week it'll be more fun um you know so those that that's kind of that i loved being a freelance theater tech like i didn't make a lot of money there's a sort of cultural belief in the theater that you should be honored that they're letting you take part being a part of the arts yeah so it was not a great way to make a living um which is part of why i you know i was like no this is not a job i can do there for i knew some guys who were older and were doing that work and i was like yeah that doesn't look like fun at all um but at the time you know 21 to 28 we were just having so much fun, you know, like working one night, we were doing a bunch of rigging in a small theater in the West village. And uh, we decided to go out for coffee, but we've all got climbing harnesses on. So we go to the coffee shop with our climbing harnesses on because it was cool. I imagine everybody else just thought we were, you know, 
like gay bondage people but you know i look at it in retrospective and i'm like yeah we were wankers but we were having a lot of fun we were cool wankers (laughs) we were cool we were legends in our own minds and that's what's important anybody else you know actual cool people would have looked at us and gone those guys are weird yeah exactly the sort of dog watching television look the sort of head to the side like yeah (laughs) but yeah but just having a lot of fun and you know going into places that you didn't you know like i did a a couple of parties at uh the metropolitan museum of art so we're in the met at midnight setting up lighting and stuff for a show you know It, it was a lot of fun i did a lot of work on fashion shows and things like that uh the hours were weird you know this I loved going to work at 11 o'clock at night and working through. So you'd walk out of a hotel ballroom at 7.30 in the morning, forgetting that it's not night anymore, open up and then driving home on the, you know, the uh, BQE or something and the sun's just coming up. And it's a lot better way to see the beauty of the morning when you've been awake all night rather than when you just woke up and you're like, Oh, what is this? Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. So that kind of working that night, you know, the looks that I would get where, because in New York City, you can buy a beer 24 hours a day. So you knock off at 730 in the morning, you go into a, you know, a little Greek American cafe kind of place. You go, oh, can I have two eggs, sunny side up sausages? On, can I have a beer with that? <laughs> and the look of absolute horror you get from the guy from the counter. Yeah, it's like, it's 7 30 in the morning. It's like, yeah, I just knocked off work. And of course, <laughs> I want a beer. You'd want a beer when you knocked off work. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Yes. But yeah, really glad to be out of that business. At 58, you cannot do those kind of, oh, yeah. You know, we used to brag about who'd worked the longest. Mm. Oh, yeah, oh, I've done 30 hours continuously without. I honestly think night shifts are the worst. I, I've only done a few in my life. I used to work in a supermarket years ago and I, I did it uh, around sort of Christmas time. And it was good in the sense that I evaded um, the customers and you could mm. just work from, I think I worked from like eight or nine at night and through till like six seven a.m the next morning and you know you put your music in you stack the shelves do your thing right but oh my god it messed with my body clock and i i really didn't feel well i did it for like four days but i felt just oh it's the worst you can do one or the other it's like switching in between it was the hard part so i would do big stretches of um you know, night, but I was drinking a lot of coffee then mm. also. So, yeah. So yeah, no, it's not good for you. That's part of the reason why I didn't wanted to get out of the theater business when, uh, you know, even like, so I was about 26 and I was, it was summer, but I was just kind of getting ready to head off traveling. And somebody rang me up and said, you know, Keith, uh, we've been giving your number it was a Summerstock theater up in Massachusetts and the set designer had screwed up the drawings. So the drawings had arrived really late and they had like a week to build this massive set. 
So they pulled some money from someplace and, and it jobbed in four professional carpenters because the thing normally the set would be built by like interns or something. And so we showed up there, these bunch of like hardcore freelance dudes who this is what they do for a living as opposed to like university students. And so the last night we were gonna be up there, they were doing a rehearsal during the day and then we were gonna stay up all night working the, doing the, finishing the stuff on the set. And at four o'clock in the morning, so we started work at like 11 o'clock at night and at four o'clock in the morning, we say, are you going to feed us? Because like we've just worked all these hours. We need food. Yeah. And so we just sat down. We just said, we are not doing any more work until you feed Yeah, us. right. Exactly. Now, I was used to working what are called industrials, which is basically a, a theater pre presentation for a corporate thing so we would do that you know in a big hotel ballroom and so at four o'clock in the morning they would order us room service and it was like here's the menus order anything be reasonable and you know they'd feed us all so finally somebody so they had to get somebody out of bed because we were being such assholes and <laughs> and he came in and he came in with three boxes of dunkin donuts and I was like, what? Donut? You brought us fucking donuts? Wow. And and I was really pissed off because it's like you're really tired and just pouring all yeah. that sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you're going to crash in an hour. But we ate them. We finished up what we were going to have to do. Felt like shit. Um, but then I thought about it later and I was like, you know, two years before I would have been like, donuts, yes! Yeah. So no, but I, I still of... I still think though, like like if you've been working your ass off for like God knows how many hours and then that's what gets brought, like yeah, you'd be grateful for anything, but at the same time you Well when you're same. 21, it's like yes, donuts. And when you're 26, 27, it's like fucking donuts, you know, I need some real human food. Yeah, that was I suppose yeah. it's it's knowledge, isn't it? I suppose you once you start realizing knowledge, yeah, exactly. Like and the, then the... but then also your body, it's like you know, mm. at 21, it's like drink all night and then still slightly drunk you know go to work and all that kind of stuff you get to like 30 and the body goes oh no we're not going to be doing that again. I, i've already got to that point uh, already yeah, yeah. i'm not even 30 i'm 28 and i'd say for the past two or three years i just can't yeah, yeah. The, the thought of having to work after drinking and i don't even drink i don't even get drunk i just i don't know what it is i get all of the worst parts of a hangover without the sickness i just feel like drained and i could only yeah, have yeah. maybe just one or two beers and the next day so i just don't drink really to be honest because it's just not fun save so much <laughs> money oh that's and it, if you're yeah. doing your life right you know it's i realized that later when I was, you know, cause well, I was basically, I was probably a borderline alcoholic when I was living in New York city. Cause the theater is an alcoholic industry, right? If you, if you're not a candidate for AA, you can't actually work in that industry. You know, it's like we would finish at four o'clock in the morning working on something and head to a bar and have drinks. Be, even though we had to be back in the theater at, 
you know, nine o'clock. That was mm. normal. That was considered normal sane behavior. But then, you know, I got to, and to me, not doing that was inconceivable at that point. It's like, what? You don't want to come to the bar with us? What's what's wrong with you? There, there's then, something wrong with you, boy. There's something wrong with you, boy. <laughs> you don't want to come get drunk at four o'clock in the morning when we have to be back here in four hours. That's really weird. <laughs> and then, you know, I did a, a whole bunch of like personal growth work and mm -hmm. then and then doing stuff like changing people's lives kind yep. of stuff and it's like wow holy shit i'm having so much more fun than i ever did under the influence of alcohol or drugs or anything else i know and exactly what i tell mean. people yeah it's like we've done this really bizarre strange thing and it's so much fun and it's you know it's uh it's different to like getting it's so different from getting pissed that yeah a person who's not doing this like this right now here i'm talking to this some guy weird guy from manchester over the you know it's like at that time to do that without a couple of beers would be but then we'd be you know talking about football or something mm -hmm. i don't know i've never been into sports but you know this kind of really surface level stuff where when you're sober you can actually have a really deep but you know silly and mad conversation and this is my idea of fun now so yeah i, I must say I, I really do concur like for me you know like after after I'm, I'm done here today you know in a couple of hours or an hour or so i'll go and i'll live stream right yeah. And I, I genuinely love to do that. And I get a lot of questions about what do I do in my spare time? I do this. I do this. I mean, you know, because I love to do this. And I mean, I want to do this for a living. I have goals to be an actor, musician, podcaster, TV guy, you know, you name it. Um, but I do really love doing these things. And I think like you got to be passionate about what you do for a living that's very important we did uh we did a facebook live last week oh cool um with the with an architect so i sat at a table with an architect and asked him questions i had my filmmaker there i had my uh social media strategist who's running the facebook live feeding me questions all right and at the end i say and and I had so much fun. And at the even though things were going wrong and we yeah. were having technical problems, I had to drive home twice because I forgot shit. And then I had to, I was like, oh fuck, I don't have my webcam. That's mm -hmm. not gonna work. Drive home. Fortunately, home was only five minutes away, and then back again. And then and I finish and I go, so were there many people on the on the live call? He said, No, no, no one. So where'd you get the questions from? He said, that was the team. That was the rest of the people. They were WhatsApping him questions Aww. because they were all Facebook admins. So they couldn't actually post questions because they were all admins on the account. So they would all show up as admin. And I was like, they were really good questions. And I had a great time. And he was like, oh, 
yeah, we didn't get really many anybody on it. I think we did it at the wrong time. I was like, I really don't care. I had so much fun. You're so, totally yeah. right. No, you're you're right. It doesn't matter how many people are there. Like I have this with my live streams. I see friends of mine and they've got hundreds and hundreds of viewers and stuff. And you know, I'll be lucky to get like 10 viewers in mine, but it's all about having fun. And there's sometimes people in there that will be like, oh, hey, thanks. This, you know, this made my day better. I was having a bad week or a bad day. And I'm like, do you know what? Awesome. We yeah. got something out of it, you know, because I do it as well. Like I'm, I've been going through some difficult times lately. And sometimes I just do live streaming. You know, I don't even like, obviously every time I do it, it's, it's technically, it's contributing towards pushing things forward, right? But I don't yeah, even, yeah. I don't even think about it sometimes. I just put it on and I go, do you know what? Let's just take my mind off my problems and have fun. And it works. Yes. So I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. 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 And and that's when I say, you know, five years ago, it's because of the work I've done on myself that five years ago it would be inconceivable to me. It's like, do you want to do a Facebook live event? Oh, that sounds really wanky and weird. No, I don't want to do that. And here I did it. I sat with an architect and I really like the guy. He really likes me. We had a great conversation and a, and a whole bunch of laughs. And, you know, somebody may sit down and watch a 45 minute conversation later. Mm. Who knows? You know, there was a lot of really good information there. If somebody wants to learn about these kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah, the hell of fun. So I think the best conversations are like that. Like that's one of the things I try to achieve with my podcasts as much as possible. Like I, you know, you can't kind of always determine how it will go. Sometimes they're more like interviews. Sometimes they're more like discussions. But I'm always a lot happier when it turns into more of a discussion because I think that's when you do get those little nuggets, those little brilliant moments that will become clips later but you know (laughs) once the editing's done but um but it's true do you know what i mean you you don't get those through you know jagged kind of straightforward questions like i ask you this question and i ask you this question and then this like it it comes from natural flow of conversation so i I get what you mean yes yeah and it's it's the conversation you would have down at the pub only without the alcohol and with headphones on Um. (laughs) (laughs) um See, earlier you mentioned that you're a father. Um, I'd like to know what are the key things you've kind of learned through being a father? Oh, boy. Now, you've got to remember, my daughter is 35 oh, and wow. 36. And yeah, I'm old. I'm old. I'm older than dirt. And, <laughs> and my son is 27 now. So it's been a while since I've been... Um, I know I think what you I'm mean. going to answer this question in a slightly different way, because okay. in addition to being a dad, I was also the parent. I was the maintenance person at a school. Oh, cool. And the thing I learned more that I got better at after my kids were bigger, um, people would say to me, so the kids love to work with me. And I put the kids to work at the school, which people from America just couldn't believe. But anyway, um, <laughs> And, you know, kids would come up to me after school and say, you know, mom's in a meeting because, you know, is there anything I can do? And it's like, yeah, let's have some fun. Um, Let's go move desks. And, you know, their mothers would say, 
he never works like that for me at home. And they, you know, they, it wasn't like, let's just go hang out with Keith. It was like, I put them to work. You know, it's like, let's dig a trench because I <laughs> needed a trench. And there was, or let's move a hundred chairs from one part of the school to another. Yeah. Okay. And then mothers would say, well, he never works like that at home for me. Yeah. And I, I was always tempted to say, yeah, because you don't like him as much as I do. Um, because I didn't have to get him to brush his teeth. I didn't have to get him to do his homework mm. at night. I didn't have to get him to eat his Brussels sprouts or whatever. So I could just like them. And so the you know the lesson the kind of take-home message for someone who's becoming a parent now or is hanging around with young people is just like them and you know yeah you still have to get them to brush their teeth but if you can get that part in there then and my son had this teacher so they have so he was at a waldorf school so it's like a Steiner school, Waldorf school, same name, same, different names, same school system. So they had the teacher who was their, um, the, their high school, like guardian, they call it for, so from class eight to class 12, when they leave for that four years and seven, maybe, yeah, anyway. And she just really liked teenagers. And people especially, oh, teenagers, you know, they're so moody and all this stuff. She just found all of the, you know, she loved them. It's like, yeah, all the boys, they're all so smelly. It's all so hilarious. And I was like, I took that as a model. It's like, yeah, just like them. Yes, you still have to say, you know, you've got to do your, your fucking homework. She probably didn't say fucking because she's a better person than me. But, um, you know, you still have to do your homework. And I know that your girlfriend has just dumped you. And I, but I still expect this of you. But I really like you. Yeah. And coming from that place, I see so many parents who don't really like their kids. It's like kids are just, and especially when they get to teenagehood. And yeah, they're a pain in the ass. You know, they're noisy. They're complaining. They're smarter than you. They're not easy to be around. Um, but if you can manage to succeed at that kind of level of just coming from a place of just liking them. And, you know, the, the extension off of that is what I found. The other side of that was that I just expected them. So I talked to them like adults mm. and I expected them to be like adults i expected them so i never talked to them like they were little kids you know so it also meant that like i handed an eight-year-old a two eight-year-olds cordless drills and told them to go around because they we had all these chains on posts around the school and they'd get ripped off because they were just into pine poles and you know every so often it would be my job to go around and screw them back on so i busy bee i just say Here's the two cordless drills. Drill the hole here, then use this to drive the screw in and go and do it. And it's like, people look at me, I'm like, are you mad? You're just giving like a two cordless drills to an eight and a 10 year old and put them off to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you expect that of them, then they, most of the time, you know, I, I just found that they, they behave. 
people who are not used to that find it very strange. Yeah. And kids also will find it strange. They think of the adults as the enemy. So they will like, I'll go to some of my clients. I will go and I'm like, hey, how was school today? And they're just like, this guy's a pedophile <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah. But the kids at the Waldorf school, they just expected it, it was like, you know, adults just talk to them and then they talk back. So I think there's a like a cultural thing. If you talk to them like they are adults, just short, then they they sort of respond like that. I don't know. That's that's my long winded theory on child rearing. It probably would send a child psychologist screaming, but it it kind of worked for me. You know, it worked better with my son than with my daughter, where I tried to be more parenty to her. So, but having said that, kids need boundaries. They need, you know, I've seen that too many times with parents. It's like, oh, you know, if you don't feel like doing your homework, just don't. You know, it's like, I don't want to oppress you. No, no, no. They have to, they can't live in the world and they can't live on potato chips, which kids would very happily live on potato chips and ice cream if you let them. Um, they need, uh, uh, one of the kindy teachers once said, you know, kids need to get in the habit of hearing no yeah, so that they understand the word and then they can use it later. It's the kids that have no boundaries that no one ever says no to them that then get in trouble later because they don't understand the meaning of the word. So, yeah. So we mentioned in the, uh, the preamble that, you know, you're a public speaker. Um, talk to us about your work as a public speaker and what have been your biggest successes with public speaking? Um, well, so I did four years at Toastmasters. So I haven't, but I haven't done any big kind of talks. The, the biggest success that I did, there was a small conference here um, those two, I got two successes in, in that time. There was a small conference called the Social Impact Festival here in Perth. And I managed to talk my way into giving a talk, even though I have no background and yeah, nothing. Um, and then I tried to learn a speech. I memorized this speech around creating a revolution around housing. And I just, I could not memorize the speech. I did it run-throughs. I did run-throughs at the group. I just couldn't get it anywhere to memorize it. And finally, I was talking to somebody the week before and they, I'd done a run-through with them over the phone, just like the last practice. And they said something to me and I don't remember what it was, but I was like, I don't actually have to give a speech. And what I ended up doing instead of giving a speech is I crowdsourced the speech. So I started with, you know, does everybody in the room know what passive solar is? Or is there anybody in the room that doesn't know what passive solar is? Four or five people put their hands up. I said, has anybody in the room got a really good definition of a passive solar house? It turned out of the like 30 people in the room, there were four engineers and six architects. And so I was going to stand there, this guy who has no credentials whatsoever, and tell architects and engineers how they should be doing their job. And I was so glad I didn't, because instead, we just had this, it was like a facilitated conversation 
where I would ask questions and then the experts in the room would answer it. It was so much fun and it worked so well. And I was like, oh, that was so much better than just giving a kind of talking head, yeah. you know, PowerPoint slide. And then just recently, some people, there's a group of people that I'm working with that are, they're running these kind of classes called Inspired Infill, which is about a lot of the houses built in the 50s and 60s here had these big blocks with the house sitting at the front and then a big backyard. So, you know, our block of land is 730 square meters. So it's, it's a big, pretty big hunk of land. Um, our house sits in the middle of the block. So there isn't a lot of room to build at the back, but there are a lot of people where the house was built at the front where they are then building at the back. And so what this group of people are trying to do is show people that there's a way to do that much better. Cause mostly what they do is they build this hideous little shit box. They brick pave everything. That's a technical term. Um, they just cover everything with brick paving and then, and it's usually gray brick paving cause that's what's fashionable these days. So we were doing this talk and I said, look, why don't I come along and I'll be the kind of MC of the meeting and bring people on and bring people off and, you know, conduct. And they were like, oh yeah, sure. Cause they had no idea what it is I do. And so <laughs> yeah. they were like, oh yeah. Okay. And it was like, I was funny. I was weird. I kept people moving. I moved people along in a timely manner. I got the speakers like when they're just going, whoa, 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 you know, they get to that waffly on point and I'm like, yeah, you need to finish and just kept the whole evening moving. And, and one of the guys was like, wow, you're actually really good at this. It's like, yeah, yeah, I am. So yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, they they paid me that night, which they didn't plan on doing, um, but uh, I didn't know I was getting paid. I was just like, the guy at the end of the night said, oh, you can put an invoice for $250. I was like, oh. <gasps> Why yeah, not? You know, Why not? <laughs> yeah. You know, Gary Vanderchuk gets like $100,000 for a talk. I got $250. Hey, you got paid, man. Doesn't matter how much. I got paid. Got so paid. yeah, that was big. Yeah. So eventually I want to get to the $100,000 point, you know, rock the room. But um, yeah, it to me, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Like four years at Toastmasters was just, I would recommend to anybody who's listening, you know, Toastmasters, even just when I had to go to my boss and go, you know, I need to get paid more money was just much easier because I'd already practiced how to form an argument, how to talk about things and stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm. What advice could you give to aspiring public speakers? I think the advice I would give to an aspiring public speaker is, well, first of all, is go to Toastmasters. The second thing is what I would do is the same advice I'd give to any, certainly any of your listeners, particularly young adults, is work on your mental health. Do a take act, active action to improve your mental health, because the thing that holds us back 
is the belief systems that we are given in our family homes. It's the belief systems we're given in school. I mean, the, the entire school system is basically designed to crush the will of people mm. so that they will work in factories on a machine. And so, you know, we have this whole history of people who are just unhappy in their lives and yeah so if you want to be good at anything the first thing to do is to dismantle the belief systems that you were fed as a child which are what are holding you back from whatever it is you want to do i've seen so many people i mean so i was watching a conference the other last week there's a thing called nudge stock it's about behavioral science fascinating but half the people who were speaking there were actually fairly terrible public speakers. Not half, there were a couple of people really good and a couple of people really bad. And I was like, the thing that's holding them back is their beliefs about themselves. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm doing this crazy stuff now because I've been working so hard for the last 30 years on clearing out the shit that was fed to me in the first 30 years of my life, so. Yeah. What were the biggest things that you kind of dismantled or overcame? Uh, well, certainly a propensity for uh, alcoholism was an early part of that. Uh, and then, you know, the family history of alcoholism. The thing I've worked the most on is just shame. You know, I yeah. grew up in a generation that used shame as a, as a tool, shame and guilt as as a tool to control children so you shamed people so that they would do what you wanted and you know so that was the tool my my parents used my father was raised a catholic so lots and lots of guilt uh and you know so i've spent a lifetime trying to free myself of that and that's you know that's part of that then is the imposter syndrome the sort of all those things it's like it's like a whole bunch of little nibbling away at a whole bunch of different belief systems that I've been working on. And um, what advice could you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? I think I'd give the same advice. You know, again, oftentimes what I see is that people are their own worst enemies, that they're, you know, they're either, if they're working with a group of people if you're the boss, but you're carrying around a whole bunch of baggage that just gets in the way of dealing with everybody else. So it's like, and all the, you know, one of the consistent things that comes out of interviews with the biggest names of, um, you know, in business or whatever, you know, the Bezos and all the, the gates is that they all have some kind of meditation practice. Mm, mm -hmm. I've tried to get into meditation. I've never succeeded at it. But if you can do it, I think it's a fantastic thing. But you've got to be doing something to actively be improving your mental health. You know, lots of people are going to gyms these days to improve their physical health. But it's only just starting to be a cultural thing that you need to put as much time into your mental health as your physical health. So, and now, I, I would add to that is don't watch the news. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Worst thing you could do. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I have another question. I feel like you've already kind of answered this, but you know, I don't know. I always ask we'll my guests. Back. This. I don't care. It's, it's my favorite yeah. question to ask my guest. Well, we can't not do it then, can we? What is the biggest life lesson that you've learned so far? Biggest life lesson. Ooh. I think the thing for me that just pops into my head is the the biggest lesson has also been the my biggest challenge is learning to love. Um, I've been married for 30 years now. Um, it's been a lot of work. We both come from families uh, that were pretty profoundly dysfunctional and both of our parents really loathed each other. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like, oh, sorry, I can't hang out with you. It was like a deep loathing. They both kind of overcame that in both families, um, you know, near the end of their lives. But, um, you know, that was so opening up my heart, allowing myself to both love and be loved was my biggest challenge. And in, in many ways has been my biggest success. And so, uh, yeah, still working at that one. So, um, yeah. And then, then just having more fun than ever. So <laughs> any advice you could give to people about, you know, making, making a marriage last that long. Um, congratulations, by oh, the way. Gosh. <laughs> oh God. No, I don't think I'd go down that road. Yeah. That would just be, uh, uh, yeah. Um, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. No, that's <laughs> no problem. No problem. We've just really just bumbled along and somehow I've gotten here. I don't know. You know, it's, uh, uh yeah fair enough don't yeah, fair don't enough. you know i think what i would say is don't marry a lunatic ex-alcoholic you know recovering <laughs> alcoholic is, yeah don't don't marry me is the first choice but yeah so you know but you know my wife is one of the few people on the planet who gets who understands my sense of humor so i suppose importantly in that it'd be find somebody to make you laugh so I can make her laugh. She can make me laugh. Yeah. We, we do have a lot of fun together. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, as we draw things to a close for today, do you have any final thoughts or some upcoming projects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'd really love people to, even though you're in England, for them to look at our website, the comfortable home project dot com dot au um there's a contact us page on there if they have any comments about it any thoughts um yeah to think about and and i'd i'd like people to think about what they can do to solve climate change because i see it as uh when the people lead the leaders will follow so i think we all have to be driving that um and it should be, you know, if we do everything that we know how to do, we will bring in a golden age. This is not like you have to do all this stuff and then we will go bang rocks together in a cave, which is what the fossil fuel industry wants us to think. So go and do it, change the world and have a lot of fun in the process and make the world a better place. So, yeah. I want to say a massive thank you for being on the show, Keith. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed this and I, I know that our listeners are going to enjoy this too. So yeah, just massive thank you. 
Yeah, cool. And, you know, if it comes out of people having questions, uh, they're more than welcome to, you know, you can shoot questions through me, find the, um, the email address on the website. If people have more questions and if any of your friends have a podcast, I'll be a guest on there too. I love this shit. Uh, yeah, cool. Okay. Thanks very much. This has been a hell of fun and yeah. We'll do it again sometime. My yeah. pleasure. And uh, thank you, everyone listening to the Christian Reef podcast. Be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.